Welcome to the Heroes of Reality Podcast, a podcast about the game of life and the hero's journey we all experience. Let's jump in with our host, Dylan Watkins, as he introduces today's guest. Are you interested on traveling around the world, just quitting your job and experiencing what it's like to travel with your family and living in an RV across 48 countries? Are you interested in what does it take to become an awesome entrepreneur and and having a beautiful time with you and your family? Well, on today's podcast, I have Mike Harlander. He, uh, when it comes to accomplishing unreasonable results, Mike is a dog on a pant leg. Since realizing his childhood's dream of graduating from the University of Notre Dame, the relentless pursuit of achievement was instilled encouraging success in anything he takes on, whether it's dominating sales quotas, starting and selling businesses, getting an MBA over 40, completing marathons. Mike supplied the tenacity uh, to all facets of life, masterly, masterful at heading into fear. He lives by a run to the roar intent or (laughs) tenant. Struggling busting on this whole intro part, but going through it, he spent nine months 48 states RV trip and shortly thereafter moved to a canal house in the heart of Amsterdam to begin another adventure. So without any further delay, I'd like to welcome Mike. Hey, Hey buddy, man. I was just like getting through that. I felt like I was just chugging along with that intro, man. It's a, it's, it's, you've got such an amazing background. I was just going through the whole process. There's so much to take in and, and what you've done and where you've gone, man. And I I think it's incredible, but I kind of first want to kick things off of like, what first kicked off your like entrepreneurial career? You know, I, I think, you know, my dad was an entrepreneur, right. And I was sort of raised with that mentality. I, I saw him, you know, start different businesses and pivot and try different things. And that's always sort of been the mentality in the household. And, you know, my brother and sister and I, all three of us are entrepreneurs. So I, I don't, mm. I don't know that we had a choice. It was like, it was, it was the context in which we were raised in. And we all went off to college and got degrees and various things. My sister has a criminology degree, but she's an entrepreneur. You know, my brother, uh, he was the only one, he was the young, he was the baby. So he was smart enough to actually major in entrepreneurship. So he, he was the first one to be like, oh, this is, this is who I am because this is who everybody else is in my family, right? Some people become doctors. Um, Our family becomes entrepreneurs. That's, I think that was the deal. That's awesome, man. And it's interesting though. Like, do you think entrepreneurship is something that you're born with or is it something you learn? Like what, what do you think about it uh, makes for an entrepreneur? You know, I, I think that, I think you've got some tendencies you've got to be, you got to be born with. And then you learn really fast your tolerance to pain. And I think entrepreneurship is a relationship to how much pain can you tolerate? Can you, can you stare into the abyss and laugh back? And at what level? Because that's, for me, entrepreneurship is so messy. It's so unbelievably painful and messy, but it's it's the satisfaction of I've created something from a blank ca- canvas, right? Like when an artist walks up, that's the scary part when it's a blank canvas. As an entrepreneur, you get to you know develop your own canvas. And if you can, you know, sort of deal with yourself in that moment, you're 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 in good shape. And and that's what I think I love about entrepreneurship is the having to deal with myself and my own fears, my own considerations and concerns. Mm. There is a thing about being an entrepreneur that is one of the best personal growth activities that you could ever do, right? Because it's it's you against nature, right? Because the only thing that's really stopping you from getting to where you want to go is is how much you're willing to grow and how and how much you're willing to uh, 
uh, learn from your mistakes and pick yourself back up again. Do you have any stories or lessons around how you might need to evolve to become a better entrepreneur? Oh, maybe too many to fit on this podcast. But no, I mean, it's just the the mistakes that I made. I I remember early on, I was working um, in real estate and I was buying foreclosures. So I'm working with these folks and I'm buying foreclosed houses, you know, fixing them up and then, and then, and then flipping them, selling them. And I remember I'm, I'm talking to this one lady and I'm so excited because she's going to sell me her house. And I got mm-hmm. giddy when I closed the sale and then I lost the deal. And I realized, dude, like she's losing her house. Now I'm buying it out of foreclosure, but th- this person's having like a bad moment and I'm gleeful because you know, I'm winning the deal, but not like realizing the context of, you know, the other, I was really embarrassed. You know, I kind of was like sick to my stomach for a few days. Like, oh dude, like now look, I helped her out. I, I stopped a foreclosure and everything like that. But that exchange of, you know, understanding sort of the whole context. And then, you know, early on, I, most of my businesses early on, I, I called myself an entrepreneur, but I was really just the VP of sales for myself. And uh-huh. I didn't look at all the other contexts, right? The accounting, you know, reading the balance sheet, looking at the PL, looking at marketing and operations. And op- I think operations is probably my biggest pain point. There's mm. so many times that I, I would hockey stick growth. You know, I get sales moving, I get everything excited. And and then, you know, 18 months in, I'm like, how do I how do I build this thing in a sustainable way? And it would, you know, the wheels would start to come off and I'd have to, you know, figure out how to b- build it back together. So now you know, I, I spent a lot more time planning on the front end mm-hmm. uh, before I dive into something. And I, with the clients and the folks that I work with, I say, look, we, we can get sales going. That's usually not an issue. It's, you know, can we handle the growth? Uh, and so that that's probably one of the, the biggest lessons is managing growth. Managing growth, right? And because you need to evolve as you go along the path, right? The first one, can you can you get leads into the system? Then can you convert those leads in sales? Then can you manage the fulfillment? Then you can can you scale when things break at that at that level? Um, for you, in terms of the sales side of things, like how do you view sales, right? What's the mindset for you? Because you say sales is no problem, and some, for some businesses, it's it's an absolute problem. But for you, what what do you think for you particularly makes sales no problem? Well, I think the the lesson I got, and you know back to that, that foreclosure conversation I was in, when when I realized that my job was to get on their side of the table, was to get in their world, find out what they had going on, what were their issues and challenges that I was addressing. And as long as I think so often sales is viewed as this, you know, I'm going to convince somebody to come over and do something that I want them to do. And, and that's not it at all. It, sales for me is about service. It's getting in that person's world, finding out where their pain is, easing their pain and, and taking care of them. And if I'm doing that, it's easy. It's when I'm worried about me or I'm worried about my numbers that I get in trouble. When I worry about them and I take care of them and come from service, that's when it's that, that's where the issue gets resolved because hmm. it's not about me. It's about am I if I take care of them, sales will take care of themselves. I love that. So offering a little value add for anybody that's listening, that's trying to get into that mindset, because what you described as a mindset, which is beautiful, right? Sales is a service, trying to be on their side, seeing things from their perspective, you know, not looking at this, oh, what commission I'm going to get versus what's the mindset of the person and, and how is this of service to them? What are some practical, tactical advice that you could give to someone listening to help them shift the conversation into that favor or be able to kind of come out the gate with that to really so that the other side of the table knows that intention? 
Well, I, I think the first thing is like before you go into the sales call, before you go into the appointment, you need to let go of your agenda. Like you need to leave your ego at the door and like realizing that you can't have, you cannot have an attachment to the outcome of that call. Like the second you have an attachment to the outcome of the call, you're in trouble. What, what I talk about is uh, you ever seen the movie Jerry Maguire? Yes. All right. So there's the little kid in the back seat. It's like, Jay, Jerry, 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 you, you, you know, dogs and bees can smell fear. Well, people, I think, can smell desperation. They can smell greed. They can smell when that salesperson is like trying to come over and 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 muck things up with them. So you, you've got to eliminate that part of it. You've got to like get your energy in check. It's like a, just getting into the right channel and, and leaving your agenda at the door and letting them know on the front end that it's okay if it doesn't work out. I, I can't tell you how many times a deal's come back around because I told the person that no was okay. But you can't say no is okay like a technique. It's got to be like, listen, Dylan, if this isn't a fit, that's fine. And you actually have to mean it. It's when you don't mean it that it becomes swarmy and weird. And then it's like a sales technique. It's like, no, in your heart of hearts, if it's all right that this deal doesn't work out, we're fine. And if you can do that, then the conversation evolves naturally. And the outcome that everybody needs ends up on the back end. I love that. There's also that conviction belief, right? I'm, I yes. have conviction that, look, if it's not going to work, it's great. I'm happy for you, but let's just get clear on what it is you need and where you need to go to get that problem solved, if any. So, blah. Yeah, exactly right. Yeah. yeah and, and look, if, if I'm holding it that your sale is the one that I need to put food on the table, that, that's my problem. That's not your problem. I need to go make more calls. So that's, I think that's an issue is that, you know, salespeople have, they will only have a handful of people that they're talking to. So they all have to get done. And it's like, no, dude, you need to have more people so that you, you're not upset if Bob says no. Bob's not a jerk. Bob just isn't aligned with what you've got. You need 17 Bobs so that you don't freak out on the one guy that isn't aligned with you. And and that's, that's, a, that's the salesperson's problem, not the client's issue, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's that almost want to say, I, I, I call it like victim leadership, but I almost imagine like victim salesmanship, right? Yes. Where you, you have that mindset, yeah. why would you buy from me? Versus like, well, I think you might want to own that story and shift that perspective. So I love that. I Like no kidding. I had a client that I, it took me like five years to build the relationship. Mm. And I, three years in, I still hadn't like gotten anything from him, but I was really patient. And the, my competition he gave me one small deal. He gave me one small deal to test out, see how my company would do. The competition freaked out, played that victim salehood game. And from that point forward, he was spending seven figures a year with our company, like consistently. <laughs> and it was all because the other guy, like I got called him up. And I can't believe you gave that guy that deal. Why would you do that to me? And it's, and the guy was like, are you kidding me? Like I've been giving you seven figures every year. And now I give this guy one small little break off and, and you're upset. And so I think that's that patience. And again, coming from service and not yeah. playing that. I love that, that victim sales hood card. That, that yeah. was good. Like, I'm going to borrow that. <laughs> yeah. yeah take it. He's off. Yeah, so cross, cross pollination of ideas here, man. There we go. There we go. So let's, let's shift gears a little bit. and want to talk about this. So you have a thing that happened with the pandemic, which I think is really, uh, I think a lot of people really hope to achieve they really want to do, but maybe they don't always take that, that brave step into the unknown. Can you talk to me about what that was and how, what happened there? Yeah. So we, we had been planning. I mean, I had been dreaming about moving to Amsterdam for like almost a decade. 
And this is, you know, early 2020, we had finally committed, you know, we had put all of our like visa applications in, everything was ready to go, put our house in the market, sold the cars, like we're, we're ready to go, let the schools know. And then the pandemic hits and, you know, Europe keeps moving off when Americans are going to be allowed in. We get to July, we can't get on the plane because, you know, the tickets that we had already bought are, are not valid because no one's allowed into Europe. And my wife looks at me and is like, what are we going to do? I'm like, I don't know. She goes, I know you always wanted to travel the U.S. in an RV. And she's like, do you want to do that? And I was like, all right. So we we bought a 36-foot Class A RV and we traveled the U.S., all 48 states over nine months. It was like 22,174 miles, some crazy number like that. And it was it was epic. And really what it was was we had a choice. We could either you know, shrink or expand. And we decided we're going to expand and we, we quarantined, you know, just in our, our 36 foot, uh, you know, my wife and two kids, we, we had our, our, we were full-time quarantine, uh, traveling, you know, the entire U S which was great because it was our, our farewell to the U S tour for a while. Cause we knew on the back end of this thing, we were going to, we we're going to be in Amsterdam. Incredible. Along the way, what's a, what's a memory while you're in the RV that really stood out to you? You know, I think I think getting to the West, uh, if you've uh, Devil's Tower is in uh, East Wyoming and it's uh, what is it? Encounters of the Third Kind. I'm, I'm blanking on the movie title, but like in the 80s, um, Close Encounters. Uh, of, yep. Yeah, that's the, the Mashed Potato Mountain. Yeah. Yes. So th- we went to that Mashed Potato Mountain and just being in this sort of physical like monstrosity of the West. And then as you come out of, you know, Devil's Tower and just the immense landscape of Wyoming, I just, I just remember my heart. Like I just, I had never seen something that expansive. I I grew up in the Northeast and what's wonderful about the Northeast is trees, right? We have trees and mountains, but the West it's that barrenness, that rolling hit. It was just like, you could, there was sky forever. It was forever. And that was like, just emotionally, I, I I'm, I'm right back there right now. And, just a little weird, cool thing is a motorcycle with a sidecar was in front of us uh-huh. as we were coming down this mountain. And it was just just sort of this epic sort of moment. I'm following this little motorcycle with a sidecar. And, you know, it's like a retired couple traveling that way. And I was like, this this is awesome. This is America. Oh, I love that. There's moments in time that make you stop and go, OK, this is like if someone could take a photo of this, this would be a postcard. And this is what people imagine happens, right? And that's what they, they want to happen. Yeah. I had I had a moment. Uh, uh, last month, I was in Chiang Mai, Thailand, right? I was in okay. Chiang Mai, Thailand. And and we were in those little tuk-tuks, you know, driving around those little tuk-tuks all over the place. Yeah. And one of my funniest favorite moments happened when I was doing this, right? We're in the tuk-tuks, right? We're going along, and there's all these just zooming past, like tons and tons of these different tuk-tuks zooming past you. I look to my right, and I see this... 65 year old grandma lady in a full moo in her motor in her little motor scooter on the tuk tuk road right curly white hair moo dress flying by the kind that you'd see in walmart just cruising yeah. just cranking and she's like ah she's got a cane hanging out the side of the back and i was like check out this girl she's she's living her best life on the side of the and i was i was so impressed with it i tried to get camera footage of it but she was just she zipped by us and she's just gone right so I was yeah. one of those moments. I was like, I wish I had a photo for this, but I don't. I don't have it. So, 
Um, Dude, I, I, I had one of those, um, this is like maybe 15 years back. I was in Shenzhen in China and the way they drive, uh, they, if it's a four lane highway, there's eight cars. Yeah. So we're, we're getting off the exit and we're, we're getting off the right way in our exit and going in the other direction is a, a motorcycle and it's a, it's a dude, his wife is on the back carrying a baby, right? So that's crazy enough. They're going the wrong direction, gets better. They have a trailer and it's the trailer is uh, chicken coops coming <laughs> the wrong direction. I was just like, this is, this is awesome. <laughs> Where else in the world? This Nobody, is awesome. No rules, man. No rules. Oh. That's, that's, that's the thing. That they, that it's, it, when you go to different countries, you go to different places, it, it really sh twists your brain and lets you know that the status quo that we take for granted, the way society, the way America is set up, completely shifts. And, I, and like for you, like being in Amsterdam and, and moving that place, like what are some things that you've seen that realizes that these aren't rules that we all live by? These are just rules that we here in the U.S. live by. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. I, I think culture shock is 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 a it's a wonderful thing and a painful thing. I, I think here in Amsterdam, it, it is two to one bikes. To people there's two bikes for every person like they have like their work bike and they have their weekend bike and the way the city is set up it is it's bike preferred so if you're on a bike you're you're above a pedestrian you're above a car um and if you get here and you don't know that like that first week you're like walking around and bikes are zipping in and out and there's a bike lane everywhere that experience was like the first month I, i've ridden bikes before no yeah. no no no, I, I've never ridden bikes before, as far as I'm concerned, now that I've been here. It's it the bike is the is the ruler. And dude, it's it's like 36 and rainy right now. Uh -huh. But tomorrow morning I'm gonna take my son to school. And there I biked in hail last year and I wasn't alone. The yeah. streets were packed. Snow, rain, sleet. It's just they're a bike culture. And that was it's awesome. And it was like I, I just can't believe like they don't care. It could be 28 degrees snowing. They're they're biking. How has that shifted their like personalities, how they interact with each other? I mean, because I know we're all in cars here. I mean, here in the U.S., I'm over in Long Beach, California, right? There's a lot of cars going around things like that. How does that affect the actual culture of people, everybody being on bikes and everybody getting around and being bike preferred? You know, it, it's, it's funny. So my, my wife, we just got her an electric bike with like huh. this big padded seat. She's got a back issue. So she hadn't been able to ride a bike here yet. And she told me last week when we got this electric bike, she goes, I, I finally feel like I'm a part of the culture because that we were talking to one of the guys that does some work around the house and uh, this guy, Yab, and he's like, there's, there's nothing more satisfying than, you know, getting off your bike after a horrible rain and you go into the office or you go into wherever you're going into. And we're all smiling because mother nature tried to kick our butt and yep. we all won. So there's this like camaraderie about it. Like, yeah, yeah, no, no, we're getting on our bikes today. You know, we're not going to get in the car. We're not getting in the tram. We're not, you know, we're not taking an Uber. We're biking. So there's like a, I don't know, a little bit of a chip. And yeah. everyone has it because Mother Nature's not going to, it's not going to stop us from biking because that's what we do here. I love that. It's a, a collectively screaming into the abyss. You know, I will yes. not go quietly into that good night. <laughs> yes. yes. Like the postal service would do well here, right? Uh, whatever their, their mantra is. Yeah, snow, yes. we're, we're going to go. Yeah. Yes. That's that's incredible, man. So wait, so so you moved out to Amsterdam because it's your dream, right? Or this is the goal to be able to do it, right? And and so what seemed like what about being out there made you want to be there? What about that? Like what what's the feeling of actually being there like? 
Yeah. So I guess two parts. So what would yeah. it be here? So yeah. my last name is Harlander and it has Dutch, you know, derivatives like five generations back. And I, I brought it up to my wife a decade ago. And then, you know, actually like three and a half years ago, she was like, all right, I'm open to the conversation, but she goes, I want all cities on the map. So we actually picked 18 cities uh -huh. and we did a rubric. We had like 15 categories from like politics, economics, education. And we broke out these, all these categories and we, we let there be like a, a, a duel or a death match of all the cities against each other. And Amsterdam won out with what our rubric was like our priorities, what we, what we wanted. So that, that's how Amsterdam got chosen. And for me, I think the idea of living overseas, living in Amsterdam or just Europe or anywhere abroad was the challenge of it. You know, I started a company in a foreign country on the back end of a pandemic. Like if I can do that, like th just the confidence, the personal development of can I pull off starting from nothing in another land uh, with other, you know, rules and cultures and things I don't know. I mean, there's things I'm finding out now that I didn't know I didn't know. And and that was what it was. It was it was the challenge of, all right, I, I felt really comfortable in South Florida at a you know, great gig and, and things were going well, but it was, how do I push myself to, I just wanted to break myself up. And yeah. uh, I got to tell you, uh, doing living abroad, we'll, we'll do that. It will break you up and spit you out. And then you do put yourself back together. But it, it there was like six months in the middle here that I, I had some rough nights. I, I will be yeah. perfectly honest. I had some, some rough, rough nights. Yeah. Yeah. I, I sometimes feel when I'm out in like in a foreign land, I kind of feel like a, lost at sea sometimes lost in the yes. sea of humanity where you're wandering around and it's very free and it's very adventurous. And then there's moments of like, like absolute connecting with these unique moments that give you absolute presence. And then you kind of have a sense of loneliness of being by yourself and isolated because you're not really a part of the community. I've, I've felt that a lot being a part of like going to places out there, like, like for yourself, I want dollars. Cause you said you had some rough nights. Um, before I, I want you to answer the rough night part, but before we do, what was on the rubric of the reasons why you decided to do Amsterdam? Yeah. So it was, so their education uh, yeah. was probably the biggest thing. We have two kids. I have a 13 year old daughter and a seven year old son and yeah. year in, year out, the Netherlands wins as the happiest kids on the planet. Right. Like, like mm -hmm. year over year. The example is my daughter's 13. She's on her bike. Her, her and her girlfriends are, are riding around. They're grabbing coffee. They're shopping. They have complete independence. She checks in with me every once in a while, but she has complete freedom. It's a very safe city and she's roaming the city. She's in Vondel Park and she's having cappuccinos and, and all, all these. She's at a bookstore. She's doing all these wonderful things. And I don't have that fear or concern about what's going on because of the way the community's built. I think it was a gift for our kids. And that that was pretty high up on the rubric for us was education and the safetyness for our kids. I mean, I grew up in the 80s and we would, you know, we'd be on our bikes and we would come home when the streetlights came on. That that hasn't been my experience, you know, in the last, you know, 20 years or so. Um, yeah, that, that was a big moving point for me. That makes sense. Yeah. BMX bandit style where, you know, you're, you're running around with yes. your friends and you're experiencing life. Yeah. That's awesome. And it's a cool yeah. gift to be able to give, give to your kids. And so, so with that, you went to Amsterdam, you started your own business. So what's your, what's your business entail? Yeah. So I focused on, you know, sales strategy and consulting. Mm -hmm. And the more that I've gotten into it, it, I've been working a lot with like startups and entrepreneurs and realizing that yeah, getting to the sales and the strategy is important, but I I've got to work on their mindset. 
because they've got to know, they've got to be prepared for what the, the mess it is to be an entrepreneur, the pain that they're going to deal with. I, I, I talk about the pain timeline with them and it's like, you know, you, you can, you can experience the pain slowly over a short amount of time or a long amount of time or, you know, rapidly all at once. And it's getting them ready for that. And so more and more, I've found myself coaching and working with entrepreneurs, getting them mentally ready for the pain that they're about to go into. Because so many of them walk in not knowing how tough it's going to be. It's like before you have kids, you have no idea what it's like to have kids. Well, having a business is, I, I wouldn't say as painful, but it's a similar track where there's so much you don't know. Um, and, and it's getting them ready uh, for that that mm. journey they're about to go on, that their own hero's journey. Right? yeah. Yeah, so, so so talk me through this one. Walk me and talk me through the pain timeline and the sales timeline, the entrepreneurial timeline. What does it look like for the entrepreneur? What's the beat deep dot for their own hero's journey to level up their their business? Yeah, so I, I think there's like three things there. So one is that it's it's coming to the acknowledgement of we either have results or we have the story about why we didn't get them. And it's it's telling that truth. I think a lot of entrepreneurs, we lie to ourselves. We lie about our pipeline. We lie about our product. We lie about how far and how much progress we've made. And it's like, no, you, you've got to strip all that away and tell the truth about exactly where your product is, where you are in the process, and, and where your clients are. And all too often, we, we make up stuff to make ourselves feel good. And it's like, the quicker you can tell the truth and, and rip that off, the faster you can get there. So that's sort of the first piece. The, the second is realizing how much in the beginning is massive action. Like people think like, oh, I'll make some calls. I'll reach out to my network and see what happens. And it's like, no, that's not the way it works. In the beginning, it's 100 units of effort, and one unit of result. And then over time, that gets more proportional. But it's they need to understand it's it's going to take twice as long and cost twice as much. And it's you're going to have to do 10x the amount of calls or outgoing marketing that you thought. And then mm -hmm. the last one, and this is the one that helps you when you're in the ditch, is you got to remember the original possibility. When I was having those rough nights, it's what was the original possibility? What was the commitment? What was the idea? What was the thing that got me out of bed that had me excited about it? Because that, and that better be strong. You better be grounded and be like, all right, look, my commitment is to supporting people, you know, with X, with whatever outcome it is. Like for me, it's, you know, creating sales stability and helping entrepreneurs to not make the mistakes I've made over the years, to be able to create a steady path for them. But You've got to go back to that original possibility because if you lose sight of that, it you just you become a puddle. You're just all over the place. You've got to have that anchor to come back to. So those would be the three. Mm -hmm. I love that. And what you're talking about is this. So I think is really important. This is it. There's a correlation. And I can only speak from the male perspective. Only can speak from the male perspective. That guys just really wish girls would come up and start talking to them, and then they could just do it. They could have a great conversation with them. But one of the hardest things I think is the initiation of the conversation. Now, there's also the later on parts of that, which we know where that goes, right? But I think a lot of businesses wish they could just open up shop and then have a bunch of people flood in, and then everything would be fine. And 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 at some point, when they make that magical widget, widget, it's going to come in, and they don't have to do any effort, right? So, how do you guide people through the process? You talk about the hundred units of effort for outbound. What does outbound look like? in this business yeah. world to get to drive people into the business. All right. So I, I got, I got two great pieces here. So yeah, one is like one of my, my early mentors, Rich Stalder, um, you know, he had a really, a really deep voice like this. And he used to say, and I never appreciated it. He would say, Harlander, the hardest door to open is your car door. And I didn't get it. 
for like a decade. I didn't get it for a decade. And he was right. It's, it's the hardest door open. It's, it's getting out and going and having the conversation with the client, like getting messy and getting out there and making like, you know, the iPhone can be very heavy if you're an entrepreneur, picking up that call and outreach. Like people are so, they're so tentative. They're so concerned about how they're going to look and if they're going to say it right, that they stop doing it. It's that inaction that's so, so painful. So just recognizing the hardest door to open is your car door or your front door. You know, if you don't have a car, I got a bike. So my front door is the hardest door to open. Um, the other is, you know, I'm working with this, uh, this fashion designer. Uh, she's got this cool new product in South Florida. And I was there like a, a month and a half ago. And she'd done all this wonderful work on her website and getting everything ready to go and started marketing and, you know, some traction, but certainly not what she thought. And I was there working with her and I said, listen, we're, we're going to go be, visit some boutique shops. We're going to get out. We're going to go visit some boutique shops. We get in the car. We're going to go visit these boutique shops. I, I kid you not. I, I physically watched the manifestation of what my mentor had said so many years ago watching her open that car door to get out, to just walk up to the shop and, and we get to the shop and she just shows the product. She's got this awesome, cool, um, you know, uh, jean jacket. She's been working on the way she stylized it. She walks it in the shop. All of the shops that we went to fell in love with the product. Um, she ended up doing a trunk show a couple weeks later. She picked up other, you know, sales from, from what we did. And we, we get back at the end of the day and she's like, Oh, you know, that, that was really fun. That wasn't that bad. And I'm like, yes, that's the deal. It's not that bad, <laughs> but the pain is doing it. You just got to do it. And that, that to me is, is that, that moment of just, you know, just get out there and do it. And you don't even have to be good. You want to know why you don't have to be good, Dylan? Because no one else is doing it. Your competition mm. is, is sitting at home and hoping the SEO or hoping people come in. It's no, no one's going out there and getting it done like a small percentage. And, and that's who, you know, what, what the difference is. That's beautiful. Yeah. I actually had flashbacks was back in the day. I had a friend of mine who was a fashionista and she was trying to get her these leggings type of things out. And I remember going door to door with her in Hollywood, right? Just walking into these different places. And I think we went to 10, 20 different places and two of them were like, yeah, you got something? Yeah, I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll hold it in my store. I'll put it in my store. But the hardest thing was to go into the stores and make the request to get them to actually take that action and move forward. And it was just so funny to me that there's a thing about needing to have that that battle buddy that will go with you and it goes, it's okay. Oh. You're not going to die, you know? And like, how do you, let me ask you then, you, the hardest thing for them to do is open the car door, which is great. I love it. And uh, probably will be the title of this podcast. But if you, but if you look at this thing, how do you get them, right? So imagine someone's sitting there and they're at their door and they're like, they just got all that energy. They're like, oh God, I know I need to, I need to step outside and, and uh, I'm going to go get a coffee or whatever thing might be, right? Yeah. What do you get to have them take that fear, move them to what I call the cave they fear the most lies the treasure that they seek. So oh, what do you that. do to get them to do? Look, I, I, I simply ask them, are they their commitment or are they their story? Because mm -hmm. like feelings visit, dude. Feelings, emotion, all that stuff visits. And I've got a choice. I, I can either be my promise, like who I, who I promised I would be, who I committed to being, or I, I can be these concerns and considerations. And, and it's, it's simply bringing them to that choice because any other like, like technique doesn't work the next time. So it's just, who are you going to be? Are you going to be your word? Are you going to be your commitment to yourself? Or are you going to be some story called, I got scared. And it's, mm -hmm. and it's just bringing them to that edge, bringing them to the edge of the plank and realizing, yeah, you're going to jump in. And I, by the way, I, I think that's the trade, you know, the, the, 
call it the sales gods, call it the universe, whatever it is. The trade is it brings you to that point and, and it tests you and it finds out like how committed are you to this goal? If you've got a big goal, it's going to test you. The world is going to test you and it's going to test you into in the correlate to how big that vision is. And if you're, if you're truly committed to it, you're going to push through that. And if you're not, you're going to, you're going to slide back and you're not going to enter that cave. So on the hero's journey, what that's called is called threshold guardians. When you go out to get started, you, the life, the universe, whatever you want to call it, tests you. Back in the day when I opened up, so decades ago, I used to have a, a catering company food business, right? I had a food truck day one, right? And day one, when I get started, right, put in all this time, you know, uh, lots of money, tens and tens of thousands of dollars on the line, the whole thing, getting ready to start. And day one, I open up the food truck. I go to go in and I'm cooking and I'm getting ready to cook the field. And I, this was when I was my own chef. Later on, I had dozens of employees and all that jazz but i go to i go to cut right and i slice my pinky right you probably can't see it there i slice my pinky i fillet the whole thing open right and i and i have to duct tape it with tape i have another tape i have another thing i'm cooking one-handed inside of there we took us 14 hours of prep to make 200 dollars that was but probably cost me 50 dollars to do the entire event and I was just sitting there after tons of money on the line, tons of effort on the line, tons of things on the line, all of this energy. And I'm like, do I really want to do this? Like, is yeah. this, and it was, and it was the biggest test. Now, later on, we got later on, I was able to plan an event in 30 minutes and do like $40,000 and all that stuff. That was the right. later on point, but that was years and years yeah. later. But most people want that, that first thing in the beginning and that, that test, that kick and goes, how committed are you? Are you, are you committed to the result versus your addiction to fear? Right. Yes. What are you willing to do? And I, I totally resonate with that on the on the whole hero's journey path. And so like for you with the with the with this side. Right. So that's how you get them to do it. You say those things to them. Is that and then they take that leap? Yeah. I mean, be, because it I'm, I'm not here to convince them to do something that they're not wanting to do it. And I but I do bring them back to that original possibility. Like, what was that original promise? What was that? What was what had them excited? Why did they want to get out there? Because, you know, sometimes when you get to that point, it's okay to recognize, like, I don't really want to do this. Like, that's okay. Yeah. Because it, it's, it's, it's going to test you. And if you weren't flat, if you didn't vet it out for yourself, then there's another opportunity for you. It may not be that one. That's okay. It's, it's all right to pivot. It's all right to make an adjustment and find something that, you know, does strike you where you're willing to slice off your pinky, cook yeah. with one arm. And I also, I love losing early. I, I want them to fail forward fast. I want them to lose early. Like if they win early, I think sometimes that's the worst thing that can happen. Is like they get all excited. They get a bunch of wins. And then, you know, six months later, when that initial, you know, sort of uh, sizzle fades out, there's nothing sustainable. And then they're wondering what happened. And it's like, oh, you, just, you hit a market at a good time. You had a good product, was a good fit. You know, that's nice. But if there's not meat on the bone, if there's not like that, I don't know, that passion around it, it's, it's not going to have the sustainability. So I, I love when they lose early, like yeah. lose early, just be, have it at, be absolute train wreck early on. Yeah. And, and that's one of the things too, is when you look at when people say, I don't know what to do. And so they just, they don't take action, right? With the, the, the only thing you do, if you take action, you'll get feedback and that feedback will cause you to take more action, will cause you to take more action and you'll, you'll, you'll go along that path. And I, I absolutely love that. Um, with a lot of these things that you're talking about right now, um, you, you seem to be really entrepreneurship, 
sales, travel. I mean, all these things are taking these brave steps forward and building this business in this great unknown space for you. Like, what is your, we talked about the threshold guardians. The next step on this one is like, what is your holy grail? Like, what is it that, that you, why you, why do you put all this effort in, in the space of entrepreneurship and sales and these risks? What do you have a, a thing you hope to achieve by all this effort in the space? Yeah. I want to create a possibility and a pathway for folks to not have the, I think the pain that I went through in not knowing what I was walking into. Like I, I, I want to let them know. I want people to know what that pain is going to be because I didn't know. And and I, I if I if you would have told me the pain, I, I've I would have at least been prepared for it. And I think that's the thing. It's like I can't do much um, other than prepare them for it. And I definitely was not prepared for what I was about to walk into. You know, it's like. Uh, you know, all the mentoring and support you can do. I just want to make sure they have everything in that backpack, mm -hmm. you know, so that when they, when they hike up that hill and they get to those challenges that they have the tools, I want to give them more than one tool in the toolbox. I want them to have all the tools they need to get to that next summit, to get through that, that next pain point. So my passion is around providing tools and a pathway for them so that they have something to go back to be like, all right, I am, I am, I am here. The Mike said I was going to hit here. And this is what's going to happen when I hit here. And, and this is what's coming up next. Because if you know it's coming, I feel like you have a better, a better shot of, of making it to the next milestone. And I, I didn't know what was coming. And I, yeah. I don't want them to not know what's coming because it's coming. Yeah, yeah. And it, yeah, because you know, that's the thing, because you've gone on the path, you know, you know what's coming. Uh, yeah, yeah. And, and the first hit's always the worst, too, when you get away, because you, you have to calibrate, you, you calibrate that, that rejection, you see what it feels like, and then you can, you can adjust from there. I have a, I was in, I'm going back to my Chiang Mai, because I was there recently, I did, I did uh, kickboxing, uh, Thai boxing over there. And then and I was like, oh, this is fun, we're just punching. And then all of a sudden, like, okay, everybody line up in a row, punch the person to your left. And you and, the, and if you don't punch hard enough, you have to do push ups. And so everybody, you go along the row one way and you go all the way in the row back. And, uh, and the first punch is always the worst, right? Sure. And, and then you get that calibration. You're like, oh, okay, cool. Okay. I, I feel a little ill and uh, now I'm ready for this. I'm ready for my battle, right? You, you get up and go. And so I kind of feel like that's the getting ready for that sales punch and kind of preparing them uh, for their journey is, is an important step to take. Uh, if, if that's your holy grail right giving them the tools and the path where they need to get to where they need to go and mentally preparing them so they can take that brave step into the unknown and open the door to get the treasure that they seek what is the dragon what is the thing that is so difficult to overcome for you or for them in order to get you that result that you seek it's it's not telling the truth the, the, the dragon is the the lies that we tell ourselves it, it's the lies of like that we, we are, we do want to look good. We do. We want to look good, man. We want, we want to look good. We want to look polished. We want to look like we got it together. We want to, we want to look like we know and we don't know. And like, that's the, we, we don't know. I don't know. I don't know. And, and it's okay not to know. We, we live in a, like a whole world where knowing is this Holy grail. And the truth is that like, none of us know. Like, I mean, I know I've got a couple things I feel like I, I fairly well know, but I don't know. And it, and it's being willing, like the dragon is not telling the truth about the fact that you don't know. And I, I think it bites all, it bites me. It's like, you know, the, the second I get a little chippy with myself, 
it, it uh, <clears throat> that dragon comes out and lets me know what's up. You know, it makes me think of you're, you're seeing a never ending story. hundred percent. Yeah. Right. So when a tray, you has got to go through those, those things and he's got the, he's got to go through the those trials. Yes. The oracles and that the sphinxes are, are looking down on him and he's got to tell the truth about himself. And it's that moment that that's the dragon is, is, being willing to tell the truth before those sucker, the eyes light up on the sphinxes and just zap the living daylights out of you. That is the entrepreneur right there. It's like, no, I don't, I don't know what's going on. I don't know what I'm doing. And, and being honest with everybody. I don't know what, I don't know what I'm doing. And the second you don't know, and you admit it, then we can start somewhere. Like Mm. I I consider myself a novice, like hundreds of thousands of, you know, sales calls, right? Rejections forever and ever. I think the difference between me and some of the others is I'm willing to, I'm still a novice. I'm still trying to figure it out. 25 years in, I'm still trying to figure it out. And I think being the novice always is, is where there's victory because you, you don't get caught up in your own, like, Oh, I, I've got this handled. And I know, no, you don't know. You don't know what's going to work. Like let's get messy and then we'll figure it out and trust ourselves. I really like that because it, being an, it's, 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 there's a, for all of us, especially in the spaces, wherever you feel like you're an expert, whether you're an expert or not, you, the cup's full, right? You can't fill up the yeah. cup, right? And when the cup's full, you're like, I got it. I don't need to figure it out. Especially one of the things that I love is when I hear people say, oh, I know marketing, but they, they, they don't they don't drive anything in. They're like, oh, I've, I've, I know. I've, I've seen things online. But they, they're like, it's like, oh, so you do it? What are the results? Like, well, I don't have any results, but I know it. It's like, it's like, mm, mm, no, 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 the same thing. It's not the same thing. It's not the same thing. And so yeah. it's, it's cool that you say that because that, I mean, that shows you like the, the, the people that have more experience space realize that like, Hey, I got shit to learn. I got places to be, I've got to figure this stuff out. So, um, yeah. that's an absolute truth. And I think that's, I think it's wonderful. Um, with that being said, um, uh, let's say, you know, it's been awesome having you on the podcast. Is there anything else you'd like to let people know about? I know you have your own podcast. Is there anything else you'd like to let people know about before you tell them how to get a hold of you? No, just look, if, if you're passionate about it and you're committed to it, it's possible. Just, just know it's going to hurt, but it's going to be worth it. That's what I want them to know. It's going to be worth it. The satisfaction of building something from nothing. I, I haven't found something more enjoyable and more fulfilling. I just haven't like, there's nothing like creating something from nothing. Beautiful. And if people want to get a hold of you, how do they do that? Yeah, uh, you can go to MikeHarlander.com, and uh, it's H-A-A-R-L-A-N-D-E-R. It's actually a Dutch last name. So, yeah, they can go to MikeHarlander.com or Run to the Roar uh, podcast, which is available on Spotify and Apple. Beautiful. Mike, honor and pleasure, buddy. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for coming on, and I will see you on the other side. All right. Thanks, Dylan. Take care now. Thank you for listening to the Heroes of Reality podcast. Check out heroesofreality.com for more episodes. While you're there, you can also take the Heroes Quiz to find out what kind of hero you are. Or, if you have a great story and want to be on the podcast, tell us why your hero's journey will inspire others. Thank you for listening. See you on the other side.